But if you have your Bibles this morning, let me give you three places if you want to mark those so we can turn a little more quickly. The first of those places is Romans chapter 8. That's actually where we'll wind up this morning. After you've turned to Romans chapter 8, I did mention Jeremiah 31. You can mark that there. And then ultimately Genesis chapter 9 is where we'll start this morning. Romans 8, and then Genesis chapter 9 is where we'll begin this morning. Since we are signing the covenant this morning, I thought it would do us some good to understand as clearly as we have time the purpose that covenants serve in the Word of God, what God is doing there and revealing to him or revealing us to him, revealing himself to us and then also revealing us to ourselves so that we can better see how desperately we need his covenant in the gospel. But a covenant is nothing more than a simple agreement between two parties with obligations oftentimes. Most of the time those obligations go both ways. Both parties has their responsibility, but we do see covenants in the Bible where there is just one party and thankfully those are the unconditional covenants that the Lord makes with us and they're all dependent upon Him. And if you want to uh, see the end of the story, you will understand very quickly that God is the only one that can keep these precious covenants. Now, they do play a important role in the Bible, the making of covenants, but also the renewing of those covenants. So the forming and the renewing of them play an important role in the Bible. And again, since the Bible is all about God, understanding covenants is necessary for us so that we can just see very clearly how God has made himself known as a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. So this morning, I want us to look at a few of these and read parts of them as we make our way through. But the first one that we come to is in Genesis chapter nine. Some like to refer to as a, a, uh, the covenant that was made in Adam, but technically you're going to find the beginning of the covenants in Genesis chapter 9. At least that's where we see the word first take place. Now this is a covenant in Genesis 9 that you're probably most familiar with. If you've ever spent any time in Sunday school, you're going to be very familiar with this particular covenant. But it has about seven elements that are a part of the covenant. God is just pronounced judgment or just acted out in judgment and he's killed every living thing with the flood. And Noah's stepping off the boat and the Lord begins to speak to Noah and give him the conditions of the covenant. But again, all of them rest upon God. There are some responsibilities. If you'll notice Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it said, God blessed Noah and his sons and, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So Noah did have some responsibility as he was walking off the boat and as he was moving from judgment into a long period of the grace of the Lord, he was to repopulate the entire earth. But the covenant takes shape, if you'll notice in verse 9, where God begins to talk about the things that He is going to do. And He makes this covenant or this promise with every living thing. Notice verse 9, it says, Now behold, I myself, and if you'll notice, even myself is in all capital. 
I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there be again flood to destroy the earth. And then God says in verse 12, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. And so we begin to understand covenants with this first covenant. God makes some promises and he doesn't just make it with Noah. He makes it with every living thing, which is fascinating when you begin to think about that. Even individuals who refuse to recognize God, atheists, agnostics, whomever they may be, God has made a covenant even with them that he will never again destroy every living thing from the earth by way of flood. And he set the sign even in the sky, the sign of that covenant, which is the rainbow. And it's fascinating when you study the text, the rainbow is what reminds God. Because most of the time it does nothing in way of reminding us. We look at it, we remark at it, we take pictures of it, and we forward those pictures to other people. But that's about the extent of that. God sees that sign in the cloud and he remembers his covenant, the covenant that he has been faithful to. A covenant that he's been faithful even to the animals with. A covenant that he's been faithful even to people who worship false gods and bow down before false idols. God is still faithful with his covenant. And so we begin to understand these covenants are promises, nothing more. But God has decided to relate to his people in this way by making promises to us and then keeping those promises. So every single generation since the generation of Noah has lived under this covenant that God has given them. And it's recognized when we see the rainbow set in the sky. Now, the next covenant is very special to us. And we're just going to track through the scriptures, the ones that we do look at. Make your way to Genesis chapter 12. And we'll see a, a covenant that God makes with a man named Abraham. Now, obviously, this is a very special one, and I know most of you know every detail with this particular covenant, but there are a number of elements that belong to this covenant. But this is the one where God begins the process of building a people for Himself. And He's going to do it through one man, who, by the way, was an idol worshiper when God called him to Himself. Abraham didn't see God and choose God. God chose him and plucked him out of what he was doing, worshiping idols, brought him to himself, and God made a covenant with Abraham. Now, primarily this covenant dealt with a land promise to one particular people, the Hebrew nations. But there's a lot of other things that go along with this covenant. In fact, you'd have to read 11 chapters to get all the details because it's from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 22. Many of the details is laid out here in 12 where he promises to make Abraham into a great nation. He promises to bless him and make his name great. He promises that he will be a blessing. God promises to Abraham that he will bless those who bless him and he will curse those who curse him. And then he says, this part of this covenant that is most special to us, he tells Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And certainly when we trace the line of our Lord back all the way to Abraham, we see that God has made good on that covenant 
that promise in which he fulfilled. Now turn over to chapter 15 and let me read you some of the details. Actually, when God ratified the covenant or, or set it into effect, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 9. So the Lord, he said to Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then Abraham brought all these to him, and he cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses. Abram drove them away. The sun was going down. A deep sleep fell upon Abram. Behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven, a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. And so once again, we see God making promises and, and, and all the requirements of the promises fall back on God. God says, this is what I'm going to do. And Abraham asked him the question, well, how am I going to know for sure? And then we see the Lord cut this covenant in literally with the sacrifices, if you will. Abram falls into a deep sleep. You're not finding conditions placed on Abram because God's making a promise to the people that are going to come through the line of Abram. God's going to make good on that promise. Genesis 17, you don't have to turn there, but that's where the sign of the covenant takes place, where God gives Abraham the sign of circumcision. So many of these covenants, all of them are promises, but many of them have signs like the rainbow and like circumcision as well. But now in the promise of fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant and bringing the physical descendants of Abraham, the, the Hebrews, into the promised land, God institutes another covenant after he rescued his people from Egypt. And we understand this as the Mosaic Covenant, or if you like, the law. God has already brought them out. They're in the, the region of Horeb. He brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And he gives them what is one of the most important covenants that you're going to find in the pages of Scripture. This covenant that we see that God gives to Moses is important. It's important second only to the covenant that we have in the gospel. This one we must understand because in understanding this covenant, we understand the holiness of God. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 19 and let's see just a little bit of how this forms out. This was such a powerful moment. God had rescued His people and if you remember, and I'm about to get into this with the release time kids, if you re remember, he's, he's passed judgment on Egypt through the ten plagues. And that had to be absolutely breathtaking because as God was pouring out His judgment on Egypt, the Israelites who lived next door to them, 
they were not experiencing these signs of judgment that God was bringing against the Egyptians. They leave from Egypt and they come out to the Red Sea and you know how God delivers them there in an incredibly miraculous way. It had to be absolutely breathtaking, life-shattering to see what God did to the enemies of His people when He drowned them into the Red Sea. He brings them to the foot of this mountain and this mountain is unique because when he called Moses to lead these people out, he said, this is the sign that I'll give you, Moses. You will worship me on this mountain. So Moses has gone through this process of these plagues being poured out on Egypt. He leads the people through the bottom of a sea on dry land, and he finds himself standing at the foot of the mountain where God said, I'll bring you back to this mountain and you'll worship me. So God calls, calls Moses up to the top of the mountain when he's about to give him the covenant and he tells him, I want you to go back down and prepare the people for what they're about to experience. And so Moses goes down and tells them to move back from the mountain because if they even touch the mountain, they're going to die. And God comes down in such power and such glory. The writer of Hebrews wrote about it so many thousands of years later and said the people were trembling in their knees. Literally, they couldn't stand up. God comes down with fire and smoke upon the mountain and the whole ground is shaking because He wants them to remember this day, this great day that I'm going to give you this covenant, this Mosaic covenant, my law. Everything God did, He wanted the people to understand His awesomeness, His power, and how He was bringing them into relationship with God and no other man had had that before save Adam. This was a tremendous moment. Let me read to you just a few of the details in verse 5. It says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice, God says to Moses, and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came down, he called the elders of the people, and he set before them, all the words which the Lord God had commanded him. And notice verse 8. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. So Moses goes back up to the mountain. He's done everything that God has told him to do. And he tells the Lord this. They said they're going to do it all, Lord. And I'm sure there was a smile on Moses' face. Because he wanted to deliver his people from Egypt. And if you remember, 40 years earlier, he had tried to do that in the strength of his own hands. He killed a man and buried him in the sand. Remember? God sends him out to the desert for 40 years to learn how to shepherd a group of people. He comes back and God gives him power, right? And pours out those plagues on the Egyptians until finally they force them out, giving them all their possessions. God mar or Moses marches them across the sea and again he comes to this mountain. He goes up to the mountain into the presence of God. God says, I'm going to give you my covenant, which in the, for uh, the shortened form, the abbreviated form is what? The Ten Commandments. So Moses goes marching down that mountain. He lays these out, or some of these, he's about to get a great deal more, but he lays these out before the people. I'm about to go back up and just receive the whole law from God. And God wants you to commit yourself to keeping this covenant with Him. All the people shout, we will, we will. Up the mountain goes the preacher with a big smile on his face. God, they're going to do it. 
God, they're going to do it. And while he's up there receiving the rest of the laws and the commandments, what takes place? They take their jewelry off. They hand it to Aaron the priest with his own bare hands. He fashions an idol in the form of a calf. And he places it on an altar. And all the people bow down and worship that calf like it is the God who saved them out of Egypt. Now this is the first time that we begin to understand who we are in the face of a covenant. Because God has promised to do a great many things and He'd always kept His promises. Now He brings us into this conditional covenant where we have requirements to fulfill as well. And in the giving of the covenant, in the very moment it's being given, it's being broken. To liken that to a wedding ceremony, in the moment you're saying, I do, you're lusting after another woman in the same room if you want to catch a glimpse of what that must have been like. Spiritual adultery unknown until now. In the giving of the covenant was the breaking of the covenant. And if you ever wonder why God was giving this covenant, it was very important. In fact, He goes into many places where He describes for them. But God was holy. And to enter into a relationship with God, you and I had to be holy too. And so God gives them the law, gives them all these requirements in order that they might be holy and have a unique relationship with God that no other nation was going to experience. Now, the wonderful thing about God is not only is He a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, but He's also a God of grace. So I want you to see some times where the covenant was renewed. Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. And I'm beginning reading in verse 1 and skip down through a few verses. We're not going to read all this. But this is a special time because we're at the end of 40 years. Moses has been faithful to lead the nation of Israel through the desert for 40 years. He can't go into the promised land because he himself has broken the covenant. But nonetheless, God gives him the opportunity to preach and speak to the people about the Word of God and encourage them in the ways of God before God takes him home, right? So they're just a few days' walk from the promised land, and you get to Deuteronomy 29. It's some of the last words that Moses speaks to his people, but he wants to renew them to this covenant. Deuteronomy 29, verse 1, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he had made with them at Horeb. And so Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and his servants and all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen and those great signs and wonders. Look down in verse 5. I've led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out. Your sandal has not worn out on your foot. And so Moses is bringing them back to reminding them of what God initially laid out when He called them to be Himself. And He's saying, don't forget, for 40 years I've kept my end of this covenant. 
But for 40 years, you've never kept this covenant. Now God is about to fulfill even more this covenant because He's about to take you into the promised land. He's going to give you this great and glorious land. God is still making good on His promises. And Moses is like, can we please make good on our end of this covenant? We are about to walk into the promised land into the blessing of the hand of God. Can we please remember Look at your body, Moses says. Those are the same clothes you've had on for the last 40 years. They're not worn out. You've worn them every day. Look at your feet. You've had those sandals for 40 years. Look at the bottom of them. They're not worn out. At this moment, can we reset, repent, and turn our hearts toward God and keep this covenant for once? Can we do that? Well, I know you know the end of the story. I can't be too dramatic. Look at verse 9. Deuteronomy 29, verse 9. So Moses says, So keep the words of this covenant to do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You stand here, all of you, before the Lord your God, your chief, your tribes, your elders, your officers, even all the men. Notice verse 11. Your little ones that had babies on their hips. Your wives, the alien who's within your camp, the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God is making with you today in order that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God. So Moses made it as clear as possible. And there was not one single soul that was not there that did not hear. Now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31, because when Moses finished speaking to the people, God started speaking to Moses. Look at verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise Play the harlot with the strange gods of the land into the midst of which they are going. They will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. In other words, all that you've done for the last 40 years is exactly what you're going to continue to do. And he told Moses that before he passed. In other words, thank you for your faithfulness in shepherding these people for 40 years but I want you to know before you die, nothing has changed in their hearts. They're the same people today as they were the day I brought them out of Egypt. Now that is a truly horrible moment, but believe it or not, it does get worse. We won't turn there for the sake of time. I need to turn this so we can come to our covenant and, and take the Lord's Supper together. But there was even... What I, I think is an even greater time than this. It's in 1 Kings where Solomon has finished the temple. Remember, David wanted to build the temple, but he couldn't because he was a man who had killed so many men. And so God allows his son Solomon to build the temple. He finishes the temple. And it was a great day. The Bible says that there were so many sacrifices the day they finished the temple, you couldn't count them. Now, if the Bible says you couldn't count them, 
I'm thinking you couldn't count them. The glory of the Lord descended upon the temple because they had carried the Ark of the Covenant with the covenant itself inside into the Holy of Holies, right? Into the temple. The glory of the Lord descends and fills the temple. And what's the thing that you're going to do? You're going to renew yourself to the covenant. I mean, what a great day to renew yourself to the covenant. I mean, the glory of the Lord has just descended into the temple. And we've been worshiping like we've never worshipped God before. Let's do this. And so they renew themselves to the covenant once again in 1 Kings chapter 9. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon the king breaks the covenant. Man. I mean, we just didn't get far down the road at all that time. No 40 years in between here. We make it, and just as soon as we make it, we break it. So you're about to come out of the Old Testament, right? Make your way to Jeremiah 31 for me as I'm sharing with you just a few things. As you're making your way out of the Old Testament... All of a sudden, because God has chosen to speak to His people and work among His people with covenants, you begin to realize something. Covenants do a remarkable job of teaching us what God is like. He's an absolutely amazing God who keeps His Word without fault. There's nothing that we do that hinders God from keeping His covenants. He is a covenant making, covenant-keeping God without fail. And also by this time, we also understand something about ourselves. We couldn't keep a covenant to save our life. In fact, many died in that desert because they couldn't keep a covenant to save their life. You'd think if your life depended on it, physical life, you could keep a covenant. But even in spite of the judgments that God told them He would bring upon them, if they did not repent and return, we continued in our way. And so those are the two things that you come out with. I understand who God is and I understand who we are. But you also come out with the understanding of this as we roll out of the, out of the Old Testament into the New. God, you're going to have to do something else. Because we cannot be saved by our own efforts, our own works, or our own word. My goodness, we can't even be saved by our own word. I can't give God a word and keep it long enough to be accepted by Him. And so we have this dying need in our own hearts. God, please do something on our behalf. We are an absolutely spineless, weak people. And so he gives us this promise in Jeremiah 31, the same promise that I read to you this morning, but let me read it again because I want it to be fresh on your minds. Jeremiah 31, the Lord gives us another promise. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God. They will be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember 
no more. And all of a sudden we have hope. All of a sudden the very thing that we could not do, God says, I'll do for you. And so God sends a man who can finally keep a covenant. And He sends that man who's His own son who comes and keeps the covenant of God perfectly in every way. He is the true Israel. He is the true Son of Man. He is the true Son of God. And He comes forth as a covenant-keeping man. And God says, I'm going to let Him be your representative. I'm going to let Him do this for you because you cannot keep a covenant to save your life. But not only does the Lord Jesus come and keep the covenant for us, but the Lord Jesus comes also as a sacrifice to pay for our guilt in our covenant-breaking ways. All the guilt that we had incurred in breaking covenant after covenant, after law, after regulation, after commandment, Jesus Christ dies on the cross to pay for all that we have failed to do. You see how great of a news this is in Jeremiah 31? God wrote hope into our history. And says, I'm going to do this on your behalf. And so when we, you don't have to turn there, but when we come to Romans 8, you can if you marked it, but Romans 8, chapter 1, listen to these words where Paul writes, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's some of the greatest news you're going to find in the Bible. In fact, most people who study Romans say Romans 8 is like Mount Everest of Romans. And truly it is because we realize all of a sudden in Christ we have fulfilled every covenant that God ever gave us. And that's remarkable to take hold of in our own hearts. God did it so fully and God did it so effectively. Everything that was ever required of us all of a sudden, we have met perfectly in Christ. You know, I was explaining the gospel to somebody this week in this way. And I had to use my son. I, I hate to pick on your son and Emily, but I, I need a carol. So it's going to be you. Jonathan's a carol. He's born that way. But he's got a girlfriend. He really wants to make her a carol. And the only way that he can do that is if he marries her. And if she marries her, then everything that it means to be a carol, which I realize is not much, but it's all given to her. Whatever inheritance, whatever blessing, it all becomes hers because she has become His. Do you understand the gospel works in the very same way? God sent a man. And He was a glorious man. And he obeyed the law of God perfectly, even from his heart. Even while he was being beaten and spit upon and his beard being pulled out, even while his hands were being nailed to Calvary's tree, he kept the covenant of God perfectly. 
His last words were making provision for His own mother. He kept the covenant. Now here you and I come up before God and we want the benefits of glory. We want heaven for our own. But it's simply not possible unless, of course, we're married to the Son. And if we're united to the Son of God, who's the perfect covenant keeper, all of a sudden, all the blessings of having kept that covenant become ours. Simply because we've had a name change. Oh, we've got a fine husband in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has done everything for us. He has provided everything for us. And we simply respond to Him by giving our lives to Him as a bride would to her groom. And all of a sudden, all the promises have been met. All the requirements fulfilled. All the necessities have been taken care of. And all the blessings have become ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Jesus did for us is absolutely indescribable. And let me pause here before I go on to our covenant. Man, if you've yet to marry the Son, I don't have the words to describe how good and glorious He is. But He is good and glorious. He is the finest groom, the most perfect husband you could ever possibly imagine. He's never failed. He's never broken a promise. He's never turned back to, him, to His own ways. He's always loved. He's always sacrificed. And He's always served you as a good husband. He even gave His life for you. And we, we husbands say that, don't we? But we've never had to. Oh, I'd give my life for my bride. He already has. He already has. And if you would but give your life to Him, oh, what life, true life, you would enjoy for the rest of eternity. Now, what about this business of our covenant. Do we even need it? I mean, you think about the gospel and you go, why do we need this? Let me remind you of, of one thing that Rob said last week. We still follow covenants. Even though we've been given the greatest covenant in Christ and that covenant has been fulfilled on our behalf, we still follow covenant. Well, if you've ever been married, you do realize you, you've made a covenant you as a failing sinner have made a covenant with another failing sinner. And if you understand the potential of that, you find your, your, yourself on your knees often praying for the grace to be faithful in that covenant every day. You should. So covenants are still a part of our life. But I think it's good and necessary for us to do what we do because I think it's a proper response to God. You see, we grow cold in our worship of God. We grow cold in our service to God. And it's good to be reminded once again, just like Moses brought out all the people before they went into the promised land and says, hey, let me remind you of how good God is and how faithful God is. I spent the first Sunday of this year preaching to you how good and faithful our God is. 
And I think it's good for you to be reminded of that because I know your hearts. I know you'll grow cold toward worship. You'll grow cold toward coming to church and worshiping God corporately. And why we would ever do that, I don't know, but it happens to us all. You'll grow cold in your service to God. How could you not serve a God who has so gloriously served you, yet we will and so I think it's a good reminder that we covenant together to come along, want to come along each other and encourage each other in the worship and service of God. Not only in the worship and service of God, but I'll tell you something else you'll grow cold toward, and that's toward one another. I'd love to spend another hour with you, and I'm not going to. I've probably got it in my notes, but I'm simply not going to. But I know that you'll grow cold in your love for one another. So many people don't understand church. They really don't. They think it's something you can take it or leave it. And those who think that don't understand it. They think it's something you can do if you have time for. If you do that, you don't understand it. If you come in and sit on the back and just rush out quickly, you, you don't understand it. If you come and just hang out with just the people that you love, you don't understand it. You see, God has given us the church in order that we might walk together as covenant-keeping people. And we're not covenant-keeping people, so we need the encouragement of one another to remain steadfast in keeping the covenant until our covenant-making, covenant-keeping husband comes to get us. We need that encouragement. Rob went through a whole lot of other things and talked about last week that was very good, and I would rehash those again, but I'm... Just for the sake of time, I'm not going to this morning. But it's a good thing to have your hearts brought back corporately before God and to remind one another that we have responsibility. It's not a responsibility to justify ourselves at all, like Rob said last week. But we do have responsibility because God has called us to respond to Him for what He has done in particular ways. He has called us to respond to Him by loving Him, by serving Him, and by worshiping Him. And He's called us to respond to His covenant in a particular way with how we relate to one another in loving one another, encouraging one another, and worshiping together. So as we do that this morning, I, I pray that all these things would rest on your mind and your heart. Are you going to break this? Rob, are you going to break this? Isn't that something? I'm mean, encouraging you to make something that you're going to break. But here's the beautiful thing of it. A sacrifice has already been paid for every sin you've ever committed. And what's more then, if you confess your sins, it's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So even as we make it, Understanding provision has been made when you break and fail to worship God and fail to serve God and fail to love one another. But we don't walk in that brokenness because we've been filled with His Spirit. And we can repent and renew ourselves once again. We can do that every day. But today is a good day for us to do this corporately.